Today we are continuing in our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are nearing the end of our Crazy Christian series. Uh, it is still heavy, serious topics as we had seen last week and all the weeks before where we are talking about issues that were very, very prevalent within the church in Corinth. And today we will be talking about understanding freedom, understanding freedom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love. As we approach the word of God, I pray that we will approach with awe and wonder, that we will approach with a spirit and a heart of humility, where we will open our ears and our eyes to what the spirit is saying and doing. May it not just be a time of information, but transformation. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I remember my freshman year at Nyack College very, very well. I mean, many of you who uh, went to college away from home may have experienced something very similar to me. In my senior year of high school, I still had time restrictions. I had to be home at a certain time. I had to eat at a certain time. I was kind of suggested on how I spent my money uh, by my dad. But by the time I was a freshman in college, I was far from home. I could have freedom, right? I could do a whole lot more than I was ever allowed to do. I could get back to my dorm at 2 a.m. in the morning and no one would punish me. I could spend my money any way that I wanted and no one would say anything because they just wouldn't know. I remember one specific night, it was probably the first two weeks of my time at Nyack College. I had a, a manual Chevy S10, a very small truck, but I, I had a cap on the back of my truck bed. And I decided I want to go to a late night diner with all of my friends. Well, all of my friends didn't have vehicles. So I said, I have a truck with a truck bed, and I have a beautiful, you know, cover where no one will know that you're in the car. So we had three people up front, which in a Chevy S10, which was a stick shift, was quite difficult for the middle person to get comfortable. And then I put about eight to ten people in my truck bed with the cover over it. Now, I almost ruined the suspension on the truck because it was about three millimeters away from rubbing on the wheel well. But we made it, and we, we got there. And I remember driving, and a cop passed by, and I thought, oh, no. I'm not doing well with this freedom thing. <laughs> and maybe you've been there. Maybe you've utilized your freedom to do silly, crazy, wild things, but here in the, the, the church in Corinth, they were taking what they thought was freedom, and they were abusing this freedom. They were misusing this freedom, just like I did my freshman year of college. I quickly learned, but still I abused that freedom. And they did much worse than I did with a, filling a Chevy S10. The Corinthians allowed their human impulses to dictate how they lived out their Christian freedom. They wanted to lean into their own human impulses. They wanted to find a way to do what they wanted and excuse it theologically. 
And so as we approach this passage, we will see their false ideology of living into their freedom. You know, we do this as well. We try to manipulate things and and say it's okay for certain things in our lives, and we end up having a lot of secret sin. We end up covering up a lot of what we don't want anyone to know about, and we excuse it in our brain because we feel like we're free to do that. But that's not a proper understanding of freedom because when we live as we please, We become God and supplant God from the throne of our hearts. We make our desires more important than God's desires. And when we make our desires more important than God's desires, we put ourselves on the throne of our hearts. And we put him as like a steward of our kingdom. But we're really the ones in charge. That is not any way to live in the freedom that we have been given. And it's a misunderstanding of what freedom in Christ really looks like. So the question that we will seek to answer this morning as we look at this passage is what does living in freedom give us the ability to do? If that's not the type of freedom that the Corinthians were living into, what type of freedom do we have and what does it give us the ability to do? So we will look at 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 14. And we're only looking at a small passage in this and not unpacking the rest. We will do that next week. But because this is one of the most difficult phrases and passages to understand in the book of 1 Corinthians, many people just don't really catch what Paul is trying to say. And so we must exegete it but well before we go into the rest next week. The word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 14. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So this small passage packs a big punch, and there's a lot going on that you and I don't fully understand. But as we look at this question, what does living in freedom give us the ability to do? The first main point I want to state is that being free in Christ, we now have the ability to move away from the bondage of our own desires. Yeah, We get to move away from the bondage of our own desires. Freedom in Christ frees us from that bondage. Paul in this passage is having a rhetorical question with the Corinthians. Remember I had said before that he had written a letter prior to 1 Corinthians. We we don't have it, but they must have replied and shared with him some of the things that were going on. He probably in that earlier letter talked about sexual immorality and they brought about a response to what Paul was saying. And so when you see these quotation marks around what he's saying, all things are lawful for me, he's not literally saying that that's what we should believe. Now you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, that some take this very passage and say, Paul says all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want to do. I mean, yeah, it might not be beneficial, but I'm still free to do it. That's not at all what Paul is saying. 
he is taking this rhetorical conversation that he had with the Corinthians and he's saying, you say all things are lawful for me. But then he replies with this answer that not all things are helpful. And so the, the Corinthian church was pushing back against Paul's view of sexual immorality. And they're saying, listen, we can, we're free in Christ. We can do what we want to do. I mean, we, we're saved. I mean, God's grace has covered it up. He's covered our sin, past, present, and future. So we could just do whatever we want to do. Does that sound a lot like American culture? Sure does to me. Especially now where this YOLO life, you only live once type of idea, just infiltrates culture. And Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church to see that the cultural values of Corinth, the unchristian world around them in the Greco-Roman society, has begun to infiltrate the church. There was a very popular teaching during this time at the beginning of the church called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism would say this, that you could do whatever you want to in your body and it does not affect your soul. It doesn't hinder you at all. It's not connected to your soul. You can do whatever you want to with and for your body and your soul is totally unscathed. They believed it was two separate realities. Now Paul is pushing back and saying, huh, that's not true. He was pushing back against this false ideology. Because in the culture, winter reminds us this, that sexual indulgence by men after marriage was just assumed. This cultural value from those who were in Corinth, it was assumed that they would go have an adulterous lifestyle. It was just like, well, we're married and we're going to try and have kids and heirs to our, our, our life and our marriage. But, you know, it's just normal. It was normal. And it was infiltrating the church because these pagans who were saved... They were told that they can live the same pleasurable lifestyle that they lived before, even as believers, and it wouldn't affect their soul. And they ate it up. They thought, wow, we can go back to that. That would be amazing for us to do that. I have no idea why they didn't see the hypocrisy in it, but they didn't. Garland states, whatever the idea's origins Many conclude that the Corinthians' porneia, the word that we will unpack shortly, was not simply a carryover from their pagan habits, but rooted in theological error. So it wasn't just the carryover. There was a theological problem that was going on in the church in Corinth. And I think that we as the American church have allowed a lot of cultural values a lot of cultural ideals, a lot of cultural issues to infiltrate the church in the way we see the Bible. Culture should not color our understanding of Scripture. No matter what that culture is, it might be something good in culture, but it should not color our view of Scripture ever. Scripture speaks for itself. Amen? Scripture speaks for itself. So in his response to what they're saying, that we have freedom to do whatever we, we want, he says not all things are beneficial. So essentially he's saying if we live by our own impulses, the result will never be good. The result will never be good. 
Some of us are supremely impulsive. You go to Target or you go to Walmart or you go to Aldi and your, your cart is full within five seconds. Because you're like, yeah, I want that, yeah, I want that, yeah, I want that, yeah, I want, oh, I'm so hungry for that, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, why am I spending $400 at Aldi? It's supposed to be cheaper. Because your impulses are just very fast. And it could be the same way as you're watching something or thinking about something that you just act on your impulses. But here he's saying, listen, when we give into our impulses, the result will never be good. Our impulses have to be dedicated to the Lord, following through with Him. You know, we don't need $400 worth of groceries because there's way too many cookies in this thing. But cookies are good in moderation. Sometimes I have a difficulty with cookies in moderation. But it's important that we see that these impulses that are not of God, that are our own impulses, will get us in trouble. Paul then, in the conversation that he's having with them, retorts, all things are lawful for me. He repeats it, because they must have said it in their response letter over and over and over again. Because there are three main vices in the Greco-Roman world that Paul consistently pushed against. The first one was drunkenness. They would have parties in the Greco-Roman world all the time, and the wine was always flowing, and everyone was always getting sloshed at these parties. It was just natural. And we'll see, when they came to communion, they still lived into this crazy, wild, let's get sloshed idea. Communion? Yeah, just wait for it. It's, you're like, what is wrong with these people? But it wasn't just that. It was also gluttony. At these parties, at these things, they would just eat and eat and eat and eat. And there is some type of cultural study that said they would eat so much they would throw up and then eat more. Very similar to the Hunger Games. That was, that was Greco-Roman world. It was absurd, but it was also sexually immoral. At these parties where they were eating so much, where they were drinking so much, there would be prostitutes all over the place. There would be women who would be selling themselves, other women who were just there trying to get some uh, leg up into the world of, of the Senate or whatever it was to be more important to say, oh, I, I slept with that person at this party. And it was normative. This, this culture was messed up. But here, the church is saying, it's all lawful for us. We could go to these parties. We could get drunk. We can get, you know, we could eat whatever we want. We can do whatever we want with the, uh, you know, with someone else. And they're pushing back on Paul's idea of these three vices. And he's like, no, like not all things are lawful for you. This is not the idea that we're trying to have. Here he's declaring to the Corinthian church and to us, when we live solely out of our own desires, we are trapped by them. Because he says, but I will not be enslaved or dominated by anything. We allow our, when we allow our desires to dictate how we live, we become enslaved. Think about that. We say that we have this freedom in Christ, that we can do what Christ has said for us to do. Or in the Corinthians, they're like, well, we can do whatever we want. We're free in Christ. We've been free of all of our sins, past, present, and future. It's done. It's over. Forget repentance. What are you talking about? That doesn't even need to exist. But they're living into these three vices. They're giving into their own desires. And here Paul says, when you give into those desires, you walk right back into bondage. 
right back into bondage. How many of you have lived into some of your sins? We talked about practicing sin last week as being something that we continuously do, and slowly we become less repentant, less remorseful, to where it just becomes something that we do. We may cover it up because we're ashamed of it, but, but there's this sense of continuously doing it. How many of you have found yourself in that situation? You're enslaved to that sin. And you don't have to be, because you have the freedom in Christ to live away from the bondage of your own sinful desires. They do not have the power over you, but you let them have the power. You say, yeah, here you go. Clasp it up. Put me in prison. This is what Paul is saying. When you have this attitude, you are enslaving yourself. We are not set free to go back into bondage. But when his desires become our desires, and when we live that way, leaning into his desires, uh, avoiding the entrapment of our own, we will see that this freedom that we truly have is the most beneficial, most powerful, most incredible way to live. So being free gives us free from bondage of our own desires. Being free, we now have the ability to live outside of our narcissistic tendencies. We get to live outside of our narcissistic tendencies. We live in a narcissistic world, which if you know anything about Greek mythology, there was this, this Greek god named Narcissus. And Narcissus was a handsome dude. And he would use his handsomeness to woo all these human women. And Zeus finally said, listen, you are going to be enslaved and entrapped by staring at yourself for the rest of your life. And you know what Narcissus said? I'm so beautiful, I'm going to love it. And he did. In the Greek mythology, he loved the idea of looking at himself for eternity. How often do we live that same way? Where it's about us, where it's what we want. It's about making sure that we level up, that we get through, that we power through the way we want and get everything that we want. They're saying this about food. Because he retorts back, he's saying to them, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And he's saying that the, the, what the Corinthians were saying back is like, listen, God gave me a stomach and I'm going to fill it. God gave me hunger, so I'm going to appease it. God gave me a desire for these flavorful pizzas. It's the whole thing. I will eat it. Because food was created for my stomach. And my stomach was created for food. And Paul's like, that's not true. Because look at what he says after after he uses this hypothetical conversation or what they would already say. And he said, and God will destroy both one and the other. One day, you won't have a stomach. One day, you won't need to eat food. You'll be in heaven and you'll be consistently satisfied within your eternal body. He's like, they're going to be gone. (laughs) Good luck. That's all you're living for is your food and your stomach. Your life in heaven is going to be very bad. So he's telling them it's this is not true. This, This idea of food and this idea of what you want for yourself is not the true life of freedom. We must not give in to our self-indulgent desires, but use our human cravings in the way God created them. 
For he goes on to say, The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. This, this church in Corinth was allowing their, their body to control their lives, their hunger, their desire for alcohol, their desire for sexual immorality. It was all that they were living for. And he said, you are missing the point. Your body is to be a living sacrifice to the Lord, where you deny yourself for the sake of the Lord. You should just fill your body enough to be fueled to do what God has called you to do. I mean, if we eat so much that we're slowed down and we get sluggish and tired, trust me, when I overeat and I get gluttonous, I'm tired. I don't want to leave the house. I just want to sit and veg out all the time. I snore really bad. Just ask my wife. The reality is, is that that hinders us from doing what God has called us to do. But it's because we're so narcissistic. It's all about us. We might not look in the mirror and say, I could do this forever. But we live for ourselves very often. And when we are truly living in our freedom in Christ, we will long to love and serve the Lord and others. When we truly have an understanding of our freedom in Christ, it will stop being about us and it will be about others. It will stop being about what we can get and how we can move forward and how we can climb the ladder, and it will be, how can I serve the Lord today? What can I do with my life and my time to serve Jesus today? And we'll look at other people around us and say, how can I serve them? What can I do to make their life easier? What can I do to help in this church? What is it that the church needs? What can I give up to help fill those needs that we have? It won't be about us and everything that we want. When we truly understand our freedom, we will live for him and for others. David Benner says this, love always involves not just saying yes to someone, but also saying no to self. The life of love is a life of death to the kingdom of self. And that's point number eight. The life of love is a life of death to the kingdom of self. We must die so that Christ may live. It's biblical. Jesus said that those who consider themselves last will be first in the kingdom of God. It's all about dying to the kingdom of self and living for the kingdom of Christ. And it can only come through a, a, a sense of surrender where we come before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit of the living God, the same Holy Spirit who rose Christ from the dead, I need your help to surrender. May I surrender my agendas, my time, everything that I want to do and live into what you want me to do. It's a real surrender. I mean, you can imagine, if you want to, if this helps you, go out into the woods and grab a couple of rocks and say, this is my desires, God, and drop them on the ground and say, that is what I prophetically do in my life right now as an image of releasing my stuff. 
whatever it is that needs to, to happen in your life to give you the ability to surrender, do it. Because when we surrender, we're living in the fullness of the freedom of Christ. And these things, our desires and stuff and money and all that, the, that stuff in our culture that holds people in bondage won't be able to hold you down. It won't be able to hold you down. But we live in a narcissistic Christian American society. Have you gone to the, uh, you know, the Christian book, uh, you know, online, uh, whatever it is, store, the Christian bookstore online, and you look up titles, and most of them are some kind of self-help thing, like, here's the 10 keys to the most happy life, and it's really big, and then in the small print, it's like, in Jesus, right? And you're like, what now, what does that say? You have to get a magnifying glass. The, the happiest marriage you could ever have in Jesus. The 10 steps to making the most money you could ever imagine as a Christian in Jesus. Right? It's, it's ridiculous. I, we don't, now, those books sell. If you were to say, how to die to self in Jesus, everyone would be like, I'm not buying that book. I, I need to have more money. This is what Paul is saying to these believers. David Benner continues, We want a spirituality of improvement, not a spirituality of transformation. But the way of the cross is the way of descent, abandon, and death. And this is the foolishness of the gospel. Jesus said to us, Take up your cross. I mean, that's like a really f- u- utilized phrase in Christian society. Take up your cross. It doesn't mean wear a cross necklace all the time. The cross is an instrument of death. He's like, listen, take up your cross, follow me. Do as I did where I sacrificed everything for you. Surrender everything for me. I mean, we have to think about these trite sayings that we say as real truth. Take up your cross and follow me. Man, that's not an easy thing to say or to do. Now, when we look at this Greek word porneia, which we will look at more next week, when he talks about sexual immorality, that is the Greek word porneia, it is all-encompassing. It's not just those things that we normally think of, of like adultery and what we talked about last week, homosexuality or prostitutes or whatever. It is every aspect of sexual immorality. Every aspect of sexual immorality is having sexual pleasurable things that are not the way God designed them. So porn is one of them. That's where the the word comes I mean, this, this industry is so blatant about what it is that they call themselves in Greek sexual morality. That's where the word porn comes from. Yes, it includes all those others, but it includes so much more. And we need to be paying attention to that, recognizing the truth of what God is saying. Being free, we now have the ability to live the resurrected life. We have the ability to live the resurrected life. If you read 1 Corinthians cover to cover really quickly, you will see that Paul loves the resurrection of Jesus in this book. 
He consistently points to the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 alone is a really long chapter all about Jesus' resurrection. And he brings it up over and over again in this book because he wants them to see that you should be dead to yourself and raised again in Christ. Christ has given us the example, surrender, death, new life. Surrender, death, new life. He continues to remind them, you don't have to live the way you live. The cultural values, the bondage of all those things and those desires no longer have to hold you down. Live in the freedom that Christ has for you. Live into the power of the resurrected life. If we stop and think about it, don't you really truly want to release your bondage? As a believer, we should have this desire to release our bondage from our sin that holds us so tightly. But often we don't pause to think about it. Christ's resurrection is proof that we too can be raised up. We can be changed, transformed, and therefore live differently. Live for the kingdom of God. Live for the salvation of the world. Live for the sake of others, sacrificing self to live for the truth of the kingdom of God. But dying to the kingdom himself is probably the most difficult thing that we ever experience in our Christian life. We can be set free from our selfish indulgence and live for the sake of God's kingdom. But we must remember we are called to live for the Lord and others, but can only do so by Christ's resurrection power. You cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You cannot do this in your own power. <coughs> you must release yourself, surrender yourself, and then live through the resurrection power of Christ Jesus. And we see in 1 Corinthians that, that Paul very, very plainly says, the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. When you surrender, open your heart for the Holy Spirit's empowerment, as Acts 1 says. Allow him to fill you with himself to give you the ability to live the Christian life. Freedom means we live life not for ourselves, but for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. When you sense yourself living solely for yourself, there's a phrase that, that was often said in the city when I was growing up, you best check yourself before you wreck yourself. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you haven't. But it was a good, important phrase of remembering Man, i got to look at my own stuff before I get into a mess. If I'm fighting someone that can beat me up, I need to check that, wow, I'm scrawny, I'm going to get toasted. I don't want to get wrecked. When you find yourself living for just yourself, you will get wrecked. Check it. Check it at the door of Jesus Christ. You and I must choose daily. This isn't just a once-in-a-year thing. This is a daily sacrifice of self it is our daily act of worship you and i must choose daily to surrender our agenda and our desires and ask him to fill us with his desires and his agenda it doesn't necessarily sound like freedom but when you do so 
and you live into his desires and you're no longer bound to the things that bind everyone in culture, you will find true freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from Paul pushing back on a false theological idea that the Corinthians had. This same false idea comes into the American church and we need to push back. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the resurrected life, to die to ourself, to die to the kingdom of self and live for the kingdom of Christ. Then we can change this world because it's not about us. It's about you and the salvation of those who are lost. In your name, amen.